morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. A blessed Easter season to all of you. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed this Friday, April the 29th, as the light of Christ shines on us from Psalm 26. I would say Psalm 26 is not really a, a psalm that you pull out anytime just quickly out of your mind or your pocket or open your Bible up to, but the words really do ring true. There's a lot of words in here that you're like, hmm, that's interesting. But also in my ears, it rings in my ears from the prayer service of Matins, where you repeat this these words from verse 8. Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Clearly, David appears to be accused of some kind of wrongdoing. And where does he want to be? The Lord's house. And not only then, but also the house that he prepares for us in eternity. And the, the reality is, may that be our desire. So as we come together this morning, open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, and let us get praying for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome Pastor Andrew Leambauer of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Concordia, Missouri. Pastor Leambauer, Happy Easter and welcome to Thy Strong Word. And blessed Easter to you, Pastor Finneran. It's great to be here. Pastor, you know, this is our first time together. We did have your uh, your colleague at St. Paul's Lutheran in Concordia on a few weeks ago, but this is your first time together here on KFUO. So tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at St. Paul's in Concordia. Uh, yeah. I uh, want to know Pastor Michael has probably given some uh, background on what's happening here in Concordia, but uh, about me, I uh, am a pastor's kid from Lake Ozark, Missouri. My dad is a church planner there in Christ the King Lutheran Church. Grew up K through eighth grade there at uh, Concordia Seward in Nebraska and then uh, St. Louis, uh, Concordia Seminary St. Louis. And then this is my first call. Um, and so, yeah, here I am uh, almost three years in uh, to ministry here and really enjoying uh, that parish life here, uh, especially as yeah, the, the lockdowns and everything are um, hopefully done. And, uh, yeah, getting into normal ministry. Um, so I uh, am married uh, happily for, oh, goodness, just a year and almost a half now. Um, my wife, Louisa, is a school teacher. Um, I brought her here from uh, Fremont, California, back to kind of her hometown here in Concordia, and she is teaching over at our elementary school at St. Paul's and actually um, is going to be stepping back this coming year as we are expecting our uh, first child, a daughter, at the end of June. So right. uh, a lot of things going on in the personal life, um, but ministry is uh, is great here as well. love the people. I have a great partnership with uh, my senior pastor, Michael Potchmitz, who you mm -hmm. talked with a few weeks ago, Absolutely. and then the Saints here at St. Paul, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and as you and I personally have talked about, uh, a lot of great opportunities with uh, St. Paul Lutheran High School that I just can't say enough good things about, as well as we have a lot of international 
uh, work going on. And strangely, in a small town like Concordia, we have Lutheran Bible translators here in town, as well as Mission of Christ Network and their missionary work. And so uh, with all of that, um, trying to connect the saints here, both in our community and uh, to support internationally um, the, the work of the saints uh, all across the world. So it's a blessing to be here. I'm still learning, um, but it's, uh, it's fun. And they are very gracious with me all the way around. So uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, this is great pastor. to have you, Pastor. Um, uh, uh, you know, a few things is, is the first one is it's international flavor at St. Paul Lutheran High School, but also our family loves to go to Seven Day Diner in Concordia, Missouri, which is owned by, I believe, a Greek family. I think Macedonia is where they said that they hail from. So it's not only the students there, but also the restaurants, which is kind of fun as well. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Three. You can fun. get a great euro there. Oh, you can. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And secondly, this is kind of a personal level, and and my listeners know I talk about it all the time. But my daughter Avril goes to St. Paul's, and and it's it's always it's a joy to speak to the pastors who are my my daughter's pastor as I'm gone, and that's a very special relationship, especially as a pastor. And your children kind of like, well, my dad's my pastor. That's kind of lame. And so it's good to hear <laughs> that they're hearing the word of God, receiving his gifts from a different pastor. So for you and Pastor Potchmitt, I'm very thankful your family is in your, your family is in our prayers all the time and we thank God for uh, the opportunities that are given to her but also all the people in Concordia. So thank you for that. Um, it's an honor. And, and finally, um, oh shoot, what was I going to say? It was going to be something really good. I can't remember now. So let's get to praying Psalm 26. Psalm 26, and, and, and what we do is we begin by praying it, and reminder to our listeners to, when you read a psalm, that you're praying. And so to take a step back, the, when we know we're in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit's at work, so we spend that time in prayer of Psalm 26, and we'll end with a Gloria Patri. So let us pray. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence, and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all of your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I bless the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. So, Pastor, as we look at Psalm 26, as I mentioned, it's not a psalm that you kind of fall upon, but and there's, and there's some tricky words here. So how do you want to start us off as we look at this beloved psalm? Well, I think as we begin, yeah, it is just, uh, thank you for leading us in prayer with the psalm, because <laughs> I think that's important to start there, right? That the, the Psalms are ultimately, as much as they're songs, they're, they're words of prayer, um, 
speaking in faith, uh, crying out to God, uh, giving thanks and praising, like all of these ways, and even in lament, and there's a little bit of that in this psalm today. Um, But uh, as I tell people who are going through a a whole number of different uh, situations and strife and whatnot, that um, there's pretty much a psalm for any situation that we're in, any emotions that we're feeling. Um, and so this is one that as we're trying to, to look at what is happening here, um, we assume it's of David that was either written by him or in his honor. Um, where is he in this? What is he saying? And is there a way that we can relate with him? And so as we look at that, I think I have kind of two uh, kind of big ideas of what could be happening here. It is a, a plea for vindication um, that this is a prayer in which David does feel unjustly accused or ill-treated, and so he's going before God as his judge to actually search him that way. And with that vindicate um, plea, and it's like, God be my judge, you look at me. Mm. Um, but it, it could also be a prayer in which he's just greatly distressed, um, and he is truly grasping at God's promises Is he's having a hard time seeing how they're playing out in his life. And so he's refocusing um, on God and his promises. Um, He has to remind himself of who he is in God and his love. Um, And so um, I think those are kind of the the two big ways, and they're probably not opposite each other. They they can work together. Um, But so as we go about this, uh, this is something that, uh, yeah, we what, what I keep seeing is people are thrown off and make it a little uncomfortable uh, how the way it starts, you know, mm. to ask that, vindicate me, oh Lord. I mean, but who wants to do that? What sinner goes before God and says, hey, <laughs> come and judge me? <laughs> um, and then to claim I've walked in my integrity. Um, but there must be there must be a reason for him doing this. And so um, I don't know if... Uh, we don't know exactly what he was reacting to in this. Um, but I think two instances really come to mind, you know, where he is in great strife, where he's being chased for his life and whatnot. You have the incident with Saul, as Saul is hunting him. Um, but also when his son Absalom, right, has, has staged that rebellion against him. And in both of those instances, you could see how um, he would have thought, hey, what did I do to receive these accusations from my enemies? Um, and so if we see it through that lens, um, that maybe he isn't quite so much saying I am overall righteous right, before God. Um, but in this specific situation, I feel like I've been wrongly accused and dealt with. And so, therefore, I'm going before the judge, the most high judge, um, to yeah, redeem, vindicate me in this situation. And so, that's uh, it's something that I think for myself personally, I uh, laugh that I have an overactive conscience. Mm. Um, mm. And so I, as a, a child, would tell on myself all the time. My parents just laugh about this, that I would, <laughs> you know, do something in class that I wasn't supposed to do. There's a whole instance in, in school in first grade 
it snowed and we were told explicitly we weren't supposed to touch the snow. And I got away with it. I went and I touched the snow. Nobody saw me and it just ate me up all night. And I went and told my teacher in the morning and, and got in trouble. Right. Um, I, this is just how I've lived my life. I, I have a guilty conscience, but with that, it has created this kind of justice complex in me that I know my own sins very well and I'm very aware of it. Um, so when I'm accused of something I didn't do, I probably react um, in a way that is uh, a little much, right? I don't like to be falsely accused for things. Ah. Um, and so it, it is one of these things that as uh, I hear his words, there is part of me that's like, okay, I think I felt this way, uh, even as I am a poor, miserable sinner. And I know that before God, I can't say that I am I'm perfect in any way. Um, so depending on what he is facing in the moment, I think that uh, this psalm, um, it really it has a depth to it. Um, but then the, the fact of the matter is, as it moves on, it directs him back to, to God and his promises. And there is kind of a subtle shift from him looking to himself and his own works to what God's promises are and, and where he receives those things. And so hmm. maybe that was a little bit much, but uh, that's kind of from a thousand feet up. That's kind of how I'm looking at the Psalm 26. What I really enjoy what you're saying, um, like you said at the beginning, is there's really a Psalm for every season, if I can say it that way, for every person and every purpose, not to try to quote other parts of the scriptures, but it, it really, right. this, this psalm is for Pastor Lambauer. I mean, that, that's a really <laughs> great way to say it is, I'm not going to let people be my judge in this matter because I've been falsely accused. Lord, you be my judge. And it, it, it's obvious that he does so in a way that understands the promises or else verse 8 would never be in there, Right. Right. So he understands the promises, and it sounds like for you too, Pastor, that you understand the promises, um, but we're going to react in a different way in different time. That's why it'd be fascinating when, when the Lord Jesus comes back, and we're if we ever sit with David and say, you know what, David, tell us about Psalm 26. What do you think? Right. You know, and, and maybe it's not going to be a concern of ours or his, but it is, it is one of, this is one of the more fascinating, I wish we had more context to understand a right. little more of what was going on for David. But... This psalm is for Pastor Lehenbauer and probably for you as well. So, Pastor, I'm ready to start digging in. Are you? Yes, sir. All right, let's do it. The first three verses, exactly what Pastor has already highlighted, the vindicate me, which we'll dig into, verses 1 through 3. Vindicate me, O Lord Yahweh, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. So, Pastor, I don't know of a situation where I've said, vindicate. You know, maybe I've heard it in a movie or something, but it's not a word I use very often. When he says, vindicate me, did you find anything on what, is he, what does that mean, vindicate? Well, and I think that's, uh, you know, as much as it carries that, um, um, that, weight of, of prove me correct, I guess, um, is, is what we expect. Um, it's, it is also kind of a dangerous thing, I feel like, for him to ask. That vindicate 
uh, it's a judgment um, as much as the hoped for innocence uh, being the, the proclamation um, that it is uh, in the fullness of God, look at me, you know, dig down deep, see me and my own heart, my mind. Um, and then, you know, he follows it up with, for I have walked in my integrity. Um, but in asking to, for God to do that, he is really kind of welcoming um, something that I think, yeah, personally, I would be a little bit afraid to ask for that. Right. Um, especially when, yeah, we know uh, what is in our own hearts. We know our own sinfulness uh, very well. Um, and so I think, like, that's where it's a lot of people uh, and the number of commentaries of people that I've heard speak on this, like, hey, this is unsettling, right? Um, why would you ask God that? Um, and then claim that you are walking in integrity. Um, and I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Um, it seems like a pretty boastful, prideful claim. Um, but uh, depending on what it is he is uh, reacting against, you know, I guess we could see it in a different light. I think personally that would be kind of scary. Oh, terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. <laughs> So let me, so let me kind of break this down a little bit. So let's kind of put it in Pastor Leyenbauer, a child language, is that um, you went to school, you did nothing wrong, and on your way home, a kid says that you stole his lunch money. If there was such a thing, and even in your days, you're a lot younger than me. Um, and, and he goes to his parent and goes to the teacher and says, he stole my lunch money, done deal, that you are like, no, like check my pockets, check my backpack, check everything in me. I have not stolen any money. You can check receipts. You can go to all the stores in town. Have I bought anything? Have I put it in my shoes? Check my whole room. Get the FBI and bring him in. Um, so is it kind of kind of like that, that he's being falsely accused and he is more than willing to be tested in every way because he knows that whatever he was falsely accused of was not true. Something like that? Yeah, well, and... I mean, that's, that's kind of what we see, um, especially as rereading the uh, Rebellion of Absalom and yeah, right. uh, the, mm. the curses that were laid upon him, the things that were said falsely against him. And, and it's funny that how David, his reaction to that, uh, who is it, Shimei, uh, curses him from the, the family of Saul. And uh, he, he pretty much says, no, let, let him curse me. Um, because, you know, if, if this is what he's been led to do by God, then we'll, we'll see how it all comes out. Um, that there was, uh, even in his, as he's walking out, you know, with his, his head hung, sackcloth and ashes, barefoot, walking away from Jerusalem, mm. uh, there is this field of, like, God is my judge. Um, and these false rumors that Absalom has spread about me that, you know, the people are buying, uh, only God can be my judge. And so you can kind of feel, if you look into that narrative, um, and if this is indeed, I mean, it definitely reflects what you would be expecting of David um, as he was looking to God to be his judge, um, especially in the face of those false accusations, um, in which, I mean, at this point, we know he knows his sin. He has humbled himself in the case of Bathsheba and Uriah. Um, that that has all been brought out in front of everyone. 
Um, so he, he's not going to pretend he's perfect. People have seen <laughs> that's not true at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that case of the false accusation um, for whatever specific circumstance, if that's Absalom, um, yeah, he's just kind of saying, you know, these things they're saying, they're not true. You, God, you're the only one who sees in the fullness, and you have to be the one to vindicate me. Um, and there's a, uh, a felt, you know, plea for, for action in that, um, that he would do something about that, if indeed, in this circumstance, he says, well, he was walking in integrity, trusting in the Lord. Um, and so I think as we look at that, it, it's less about David maybe um, defending, you know, all of his actions, who he mm-hmm. is, you know, it's a righteous person, but he's not a sinner. Um, but really in his mind, as he has um, tried to you know, put all of his trust in God, even in the midst of the way that he is, he's misstepped, um, as he repented and he asked for forgiveness, as he humbled himself before God, um, there is this desire um, to follow follow the Lord who has given him all things in forgiveness. And so as he has been trying to do this and these things have still happened to him, he pleads to, to the judge. And I think uh, it's something that as we look at this and our reactions, right, um, against this sort of thing, that the first thing that if I was talking to God, it wouldn't be to, to defend myself and how great I am. Right. Um, in fact, the way we start, you know, almost all of our uh, worship services and confession absolution, we always remind ourselves that we are poor, sinful beings, right? Um, that especially as Lutherans, we are very aware of how sinful we are. Um, and that's where we, we start. It's, I have a, a habit of when something bad happens, you know, even if I, I don't know, I spill a glass of water or something like that, and I'll just look down and I'll say, I deserve it. And <laughs> it kind of started as, as a joke um, in, in college that I'd say this to my roommates. And, uh, but the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, you know, I do. And it was kind of emphasized even more for me that my wife, if I ever said, oh, you deserve better or something like that, her response is always, all I deserve is death, hell, and eternal damnation. <laughs> and it's one of those, go, oh, wow, yeah, I guess to think about it. But the fact of the matter is, we're very good at that, remembering that we are, are sinful. Um, but it, what we know in Christ is that we are also saints, right? That we've been claimed in Jesus's blood and righteousness, that we have been made a new creation. And even as we daily are reminded um, that that old Adam has to be put to death, uh, that it, that sin clings to us, um, I think we're not quite as good as remembering who we are as sons and daughters of the Most High. Um, and as those things have to be held in balance, because the gospel will will lose uh, its, its power if we forget what it's rescuing us from. Um, there is something to this fact that we are redeemed children of God. And in that, because of Jesus and pride in what he has done in claiming us, that's, I think, where I think this this makes much more sense. 
that in this, it's like, God, you have promised this. You have claimed me in these ways. um, And therefore I'm coming before you as a redeemed child. Um, And that's where we ask for this vindication. Um, And so to try and keep those things in balance that yes, you don't come before God trying to say that your own merit gets you anything from him. But when you come before God and say, Hey, Jesus has redeemed me. (laughs) I have put on his righteousness. Um, That's where we kind of have this beautiful thing um, that we have been or being sanctified through his work in our, our lives. And clearly, clearly he knew that in verse three. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. The emphasis is not on on him, is that he's saying, judge me according to this, and he knows how this God is. He knows what kind of judge this judge is, not a normal judge that is trying to lay down the, um, the, uh, the law and say, okay, well, this is the punishment, but this is a loving and compassionate Lord. This is through what we're seeing a lot in these psalms, especially Psalm 23, that this is the shepherd who has compassion upon his children. But Pastor, right now we need to take our break. We are studying and praying Psalm 26 with Pastor Andrew Leyenbauer, and we'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back. We are studying and praying Psalm 26 with Pastor Andrew Leenbauer of St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Concordia, Missouri. And so, Pastor, we've as we've gone through these first three verses, it really sets the stage for the rest of the psalm. So, Pastor, is there anything else in verses one and three that you want one through three that you wanted to highlight this morning? Well, and I think yeah, it's uh, that that last piece that you you gave before the break. That yeah. all of this is in light of of the steadfast love that David has experienced before his eyes, and that is how he walks in his faithfulness, right? In God's faithfulness, um, that it is God's love who is doing these things in his life, um, and so that's that's the source of any merit that he has, um, and so. That's where it sets you up well for the next part, where again, it seems like he's tooting his own horn there in verse <laughs> four and five. It, it is fascinating as you read this, and reminder to our listeners that as you read this, that's why context is so important. And I know for us here in Minnesota, you know, we, we really do struggle, and this is, I would say, traditional Minnesotans who grew up here and been living in the Norwegian Lutheran dynamic and so forth. Is this, you know, you're not supposed to ever brag about yourself. You're never supposed to promote yourself. It's always a humble brag, if anything. I know that probably sounds different for our listeners. That's how I speak as brag is how, how you say it. But, it, uh, you know, it's very, very unique 
is that it's very bad to do that. So some of this, as you said, kind of makes us uncomfortable culturally, spiritually, but it makes sense how you've been laying this out. So verses 4 and 5, um, a little bit of an out called humble brag, okay, verses 4 and 5. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the evil the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. So uh, I think he's kind of being humble, but he's also kind of promoting himself here. What? It, what? Uh, tell us more about what David is doing in these verses. Well, and I think again, yeah, it does seem like he is he's bragging on himself. Um, and maybe what comes to mind, or at least for me initially, is you know Luke eighteen, that Pharisee. Uh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Yeah, right, you know? yeah. <laughs> and he's saying, I do not sit with men of falsehood. Uh, don't consort with hypocrites. And, you know, that that whole feeling there is like, I'm not like them, God. Um, but again, if you look back to uh, the verse that came before this, your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Uh, and then furthermore, as you kind of look at this uh, the imagery, right? of this walking, that life is a journey, um, and then where where do you stand? Where do you sit? And that's, uh, it goes back to Psalm, Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is this, this common theme that we have throughout the Psalms, um, that that is not where those who follow God uh, go. That's not where they stand or where they sit. They don't make their bed in those places. And so for David, um, he's just, because of, I know your love, steadfast love, God, before my eyes, I walk in your faithfulness, what you have done. And therefore, I don't do this over here. I don't sit with men of falsehood. I don't consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers. And I will not sit with the wicked because that's the opposite of, of who God is. That is the opposite of everything that he has been doing in David's life. Um, and so I think, you know, as much as that can sound like uh, bragging, I think that for him, it's a, it's really like, you know, as I am being yeah, uh, falsely accused or treated in these different ways, that it's like, Lord, uh, what am I, what am I doing wrong? I do my best. Um, mm-hmm out of your great love and faithfulness to not do these things because I know where they lead. And actually I've, I've been there <laughs> like uh, that I've seen what you give and that's not where to find it. And so he's making that distinction there in which as much as that, well, and let me see here. There is a thought, you know, prayer as it is communication with God, right? And we are we are sharing our thoughts, our emotions, we're appealing to him, asking him to act and do all these things. Um, that conversation with God is it's not just about us trying to sway God or something like that, right? That it works on our hearts as well. As we are in conversation with God, we can't help but be changed. Um, that as we, we cry out to him and we receive what he has for us in his word, we are, are slowly changed through a prayer life, right? Um, that our will is brought in line with his. Um, and so as David is working through these things and reminding himself of what God has commanded as well as what God has promised, uh, there is, 
it's funny that it seems like in this psalm, he is struggling through these things, trying to refocus on what God has said uh, and what he has promised. And so to sit with those men of falsehood, to be in those bad places, to sit with the wicked, that's right out. That is not where God is, and it leads nowhere, nowhere good. Um, and so that, I think, leads then to, okay, where do we do this? Um, which comes up in the next few verses. And there is that, I really like how you lay that out for us, is Psalm 1-1, you know, the, the, the one who is blessed are those who do not do these things. And so he's, he's definitely, to me, there's partly a lament as he's saying this, like, like listen, I don't do this. I don't do that. I have no business in doing X, whatever it might be. And it's not a totally like, hey, look at me situation, even though it feels like it, like you said from Luke 18. But it's a, that natural conversation. Like if you and I were to go hang out for a night or something, and we were to have a conversation, and if you were to nitpick every single line that I said to you, I mean, you're going to find crazy things all over the place, but that's just kind of how like, conversations occur, right? Um, and that's right. how would we not expect that to be the same with our Lord. I'm not, you know, I'm not promoting anything too far with that, but I'm saying that he's, I think there's a lament in here as well. Like, like, listen, all these false accusations, I'm not doing this, this, and this. And it's totally not like I'm better than the other guy, but just like, just bringing it out, you know, grieving this thing out as I, as, as we would say. So pastor, any thoughts on that? I feel like it's kind of a lament. Any thoughts? Well, I think that's exactly it. Um, in which, not to go backwards, but jump back to verse 2, and that uh, test my heart and my mind. And I think what came to, to mind as he is going through all of this, like, well, what did I do to deserve this? You know, have I not been following God? Have I not been? And for me, in those moments, my dad always taught me, uh, as you are you know, struggling with something, that you're in a time of distress, um, that you don't know what's next. My dad always prayed himself and then had me pray with him, uh, Psalm 139, mm. 23 and 24, that search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That I think in those moments in which, man, we, we don't know what's up and down, uh, all we know is that we have to cling to God and his promises, there is that moment that search me. Help me out. What do, what do I do? Lead me in the way yeah. everlasting. Mm -hmm. And I think that in this, <laughs> he is just kind of doing this in a, a more fleshed out way. Mm -hmm. um, that there is that same kind of thought um, that he is scrambling um, with what's going on around him and just doing his best to hold on to God and his promises. Um, and so, I mean, that's the thing that in those moments, we can say things in kind of a, a funny way. Right? That if I think that I've been unjustly treated on this side, I may overstate how innocent and great I am. Right. right. Um, but the other thing is he is just welcoming God to, okay, you are the judge. Um, therefore you're the one who's going to have to vindicate me or not. But in the end, I am going to cling to your faithfulness and your steadfast love. Mm. Um, and that's key. So, you know, yeah. verse 3, I think, is that key verse, especially as you look at the first um, 
beginning of this. Now, just to make sure that we're not we're not we're not denying the inspiration of Holy Scripture. Okay, so it's not like right. well, it's just a conversation, whatever it might be. But definitely, it's a very uh, earthy conversation. I would say some psalms seem like David sat down. I would say the twenty third psalm is this way. He sat down and he had it edited by a few people, you know, he really kind of, how does this sound? Oh, that's good. Let's put that in here, that preposition. Okay, let's make sure we have this linking verb or whatever it might be. But this one just seems very much so he wrote it and it's very real. And I think that's important for us to to remember as well, that we're not denying anything of that comes from God, but we do understand that David was a real person in real time with real emotions. So let's keep moving forward here, Pastor. Um, verses 6 and 7 because, um, well, it kind of sounds like the passion, you know, Pilate washing his hands. How does that connect with this? Verses 6 and 7. I wash my hands well, in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. So let's stick with that first part, washing hands of innocence. What, what are your thoughts? What is, he, what is David doing here? Well, I mean, this is all part of uh, the purification, right, that... Um, he knows that at um, his base level, he is sinful in front of God. And that's why to uh, the, the people of Israel, these purification rites were so important um, as they were going to approach the, the mercy seat of God, as they were going to go and present their, their sacrifices. Uh, there was all of this, and, and you see this all the way through, right? That um, even to what John the Baptist does, right? In these um, baptisms that uh, you have there, that you have um, down uh, around the Dead Sea, um, that there's all of these purification baths that they find everywhere. This was a thing, that we are dirty, Mm -hmm. and therefore we need to be purified to enter into God's presence. Um, And we can't claim that on our own. And so, especially as you think about what the priests would do, um, around the, the altar, um, that they would, they would wash themselves before they approached. And very much there, he says, I wash my hands in innocence, go around your altar, oh Lord, um, that he needs that washing himself. Um, but I think it is also a, a plea to, okay, I know this is where I go. Um, to to receive these things, the promises that you're giving. Um, and that's where he, he approaches the altar uh, with that. As far as, you know, Pilate, um, that really seems more like he was you know, washing his hands of something. Right, that's uh, true. Disconnecting. Okay, sure. mm-hmm. um, where here he's owning, you know, I need this washing. I have to have my hands washed and and. Ultimately, you know, it's God's innocence that is given to him um, and then go around your altar. And, and what happens at the altar, that is where the sacrifices are made. That's from where forgiveness is given. Um, that is where God's presence um, is. And so that's, uh, that's where, I mean, it's a nice turn. That is, he goes from this kind of yeah, working through uh what is it? What did I do? Where did, now he turns to where God actually brings his promises and says he will be. Um, and as he does that, he washes his hands in innocence, go around your altar, O Lord, 
that's where he's proclaiming Thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. Um, it's so interesting in a lot of these psalms that you have this back and forth, right? Uh, it's like hot and cold uh, that one second there's this lament of the terrible things that are going on, that my life's in danger, that everybody's around me, and then boom, he's uh, you know giving thanks for the wonderful things God has done. Um, but I think that in this case, like that's where he has to go. Um, I think that's where it's a he's clinging to what he knows is true of God and how God has acted, even though the circumstances around him uh, don't lend towards that. It doesn't seem that way in the moment, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Um, and this is where God brings his forgiveness, his mercy and grace. Um, and it is only there that true innocence is actually found and God gives that, um, which results in thanksgiving. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. And, and verse 7, that's what I was going to say is, is uh, I heard it once said that what's the greatest feeling in the world? And, and you can go all over the place. And a lot of people say accomplishment. So I worked hard. I accomplished my goal. I can stand on that first place, you know, podium, and therefore I did it. And and that's a great feeling, no doubt. I guess I've never had quite that feeling. I've never like won a championship or something. But but to accomplish something, you're like, hey, this is great. And and this pastor, I can't remember who it was, said, no, it's relief. The relief that I'm not the one who has to do this. I'm not the one who is in control. Somebody is taking it, taking care of something that I thought I had to do. You know, so it's kind of like you <laughs> you studied and and all this, and you don't know what's going to happen in your test, and you get a hundred percent, and you're like, oh my gosh, thank goodness, or you're not going to have the test; it's completely gone. You know, oh thank goodness, and that's what's happening here. I mean, he is being told basically, you know where to get innocence; it is here, it's around the Lord. And how could you not then say, oh thank goodness, oh thanks be to God, kind of situation. That's how that's how I felt this. Psalm hit me, and, and Dr. Seleska talks a lot about that, is how does this psalm hit you? Right. And that was one thing I, I really felt on those verses. So, Pastor, anything else on those two? I mean, it's a that's a part, I always jump to verse 8, but 6-7 really has some great grace there. Anything else you can see? Well, and I think that reframes the beginning, right? To vindicate me, O Lord, in light of 6 and 7, um, that that's like, okay, well, the Lord brings forgiveness uh, he actually can grant this innocence. And if he is the one doing the judging, and this is what he promises to do, then it changes the whole feel of the psalm. And so it is, it's interesting how the, the psalm transforms as you read it, um, as you kind of go through that. There's kind of the strife at the beginning, uh, the, the question moving forward, clinging to God's promise. You see how those actually come into play. And then... In verse 8, there is like this turn towards worship um, where his, his whole mentality has changed uh, as the, the reality of what God does dawns on him. So let's so. get into that. Verses 8 through 10. Great segue, Pastor. Great segue. Verses 8 through 10. Oh, Lord Yahweh, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. So there's, there's a definitely dichotomy here of the holiness 
of where his glory dwells and the sin that surrounds him. Tell us about that dichotomy or uh, the, the communication that David's doing. Well, and I think that uh, uh, it, it is a beautiful way to show how the promises of God um, are, are found where he says he'll be, right? Mm-hmm. And so in the mix, amidst of all the craziness, uh, the false accusations, whatever it is that is causing him the strife, uh, there is this reminder that, oh, Lord, man, I love the habitation of your house because this is where I find uh, my my whole being, my my innocence, my um, everything that I could ever want is in the presence of the Lord. And you've actually invited me into that place, right? Um and so then as he goes from this kind of you know, statement of worship about who God is um, and being in his presence, then there's the 9 and 10, I think it's a, a different feel than 4 and 5, um, that it is now like, man, I, I know your goodness, Lord. You've showed me these things. Um, and in that, don't, don't sweep my soul away with sinners nor my life with bloodthirsty men and, and whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of pride. Don't, don't send me there because that, that is death. I have seen life in your house, in your presence. That is where life is. And in these other places that the, the world would send me um, that actually try and lay claim to who I am, don't let me be <laughs> swept away there because being with you is everything. Um, and so like that is, it, it's amazing how this changes um, that nine and 10 can even be seen as a part of that worship mm. that there is that um, he makes that uh, he distinguishes between man, the things of the world, uh, the way that the world works um, and how he has even been in some of those places before. Uh, but no, he, he grasps at the promises that God gives, um, that he knows that is where life is had. Um, and even in the midst of the problem that he's having right now, whatever it is, that to turn to the Lord, to the place of his presence, that is the only place that life will be found for him. Um, and I thought that it's, it's interesting that, again, we... We don't have any idea exactly what he was going through. But if it was this issue with Absalom, uh, that you had that whole back and forth as he was leaving, that uh, Zadok, uh, the priest, was talking about you know taking the ark along with him. Right. Um, yeah. huh. And then he sends him back. <laughs> and he's like, no, uh, take God back into the city. Uh, and if I find favor in the Lord's eyes, who will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. And that is his hope as he leaves, right? That he knows that there's life there. Um, and that if it is the God's, God's favor, um, his will, he'll bring him back. And that's where you grasp onto these promises that he had back in second Samuel, that verse seven, mm-hmm. uh, in which Nathan tells him, the Lord's promises to him, right? That um, that he was going to uh, actually establish his house and his kingdom, that he would bring one of his own blood, you know, that he would be his father and he'd be his son and his house and kingdom will endure forever. Like 
that he is going back and grasping to these great promises that he knows God doesn't go back on his word. Um, and so, therefore, in light of that love, faithfulness, and the promises that he's been given, there is this kind of boldness to, God, I know, I know who you are in the life that you bring. So don't let me be swept away, please. Um, remember the promises that you have made uh, and, and, and redeem me. Um, and so that's where it really, this kind of statement of worship as well as a, a really kind of nice um, plea before God, uh, which again sounds bold, but uh, for this one, it made me think of Luther's explanation uh, of the Lord's Prayer in the first edition. Right, that we may ask him with all boldness and confidence as children ask their dear father, um, that, that God kind of calls his children to ask him boldly these things um, because he has created this, this um, relationship of, of love and trust. Um, and so seeing it in those terms, David as, you know, God's, chosen king for his people, uh, a child of God, then to plead with him not to do, allow him to be swept away. Uh, it just it makes sense within the, the faith that God has given him. And I, when we see this, it is, uh, it's, it's fascinating, uh, one, to see how David is writing this and what is going on for him. He's, and, and you said this so well, that it's, it's he knows what he's receiving and he knows the promises of what the Lord will do for him to keep him away from sinners, to keep him away from bribes and evil and so forth, that the Lord can do this. And and I think in some ways, I, I was thinking about this, this is a part of when we do come to receive those promises in worship, that this can be our prayer too, that when we're there, you know, lead us not into temptation is is what we pray. Right, and, and this is something the six, seventh petitions of the Lord's Prayer, as you already mentioned the the introduction, that that we can say that same prayer as we're in the Lord's house, and obviously every day we can pray this as well, knowing full well that it is our Lord who can sustain us, keep us steadfast in His love, and keep us away from these evil things. And I would say that um, the problem, the, the the struggle that I have with those kind of prayers, is that God answers them, and I don't even know He's answering them. So say, Lord, keep me from evil, and I can go my whole day and not not realize that I maybe I was close to evil. You know, maybe I was close to the temptations, but the Lord sustained me and kept me from those things. So those are kind of frustrating prayers because I don't see the benefit. <laughs> I don't right. see it actually come to fruition. Which I, I, you know what? Thanks be to God that I don't, um, because now this is this is probably another part of verse seven, proclaiming Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving's allowed and of his wondrous deeds. Part of that might be that he has kept me from things I don't even know about. And so thanks be to God for David and thanks be to God for us. Um, anything else? Pastor, we have about five minutes left in our time. Anything else, really, verses 1 through 10 before we get to the last two important verses? Well, uh, just what you said just now, it made me think again of the endings of Luther's morning and evening prayers, right, that let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Um, that this is something that uh, is prayed all the time. And we don't say it in the exact words of the psalm very often, but it is what we are encouraged to pray for God to protect us, 
from evil and, and lead us not into temptation, right? Um, deliver us from evil. And so, yeah, I think that he is doing exactly what uh, what saints across the world do every single day. Amen. Um, Amen. But then that turns him to these last two verses as well. Okay, let's, um, let's get to those last, another great segue. Here we go, verses 11 and 12. As for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Uh, you know, verse 11, like I said, we have about three minutes left in our time. Uh, the, first, the first part, I don't want to get too caught up on it, but it is strange. I'll walk in my integrity. What do you mean? Aren't you walking in the Lord's integrity, whatever it might be? Um, but I don't think that's the main focus of these verses. How do we make sure we're on the right track, these last two verses? Well, and I mean, this echoes verse 1, right? Yeah. For I have walked in my integrity. Um, but he said this already. Um, but then he goes through this whole process of reminding himself of who God is, what his promises are, you know, all of that, the struggle. Um, into that worship, and that now led him back to that statement. That's from hell walk in my integrity. And again, who gives that integrity? Well, he follows that statement up with, redeem me and be gracious to me. Um, that there is this feeling that, you know, even whatever his integrity is, he still needs that redemption. He needs the grace and mercy that God gives, um, and he knows where to find that. Uh, and so, again, it's yeah, kind of an interesting thing that he talks about his integrity. And whatever that is, however good he might think it is, he needs what the Lord has. He needs his redemption and his grace, um, even with the best that, that David might be able to give. Um, so, again, there is uh, more of a humble feeling in this second statement about walking in integrity. But it is all with the Lord's aid. So, so Pastor, we have about a minute, minute and a half left in our time. How would you, when would you encourage someone to read or to pray this psalm? And how, how does it encourage us as Christian people? You know, I think that this is a psalm that you can pray in, in any distress, whether you're falsely accused in time of great peril or even in times of temptation, when things are all kind of going crazy around you, uh, it is one that we can direct our gaze back at, at God and his promises, what he has given us through his son Jesus. Um, and then it's a reminder that, you know, where do we find those promises given? It is in his presence, in his house, when we gather together, and that's how it ends, right? My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. That is where our feet, um, as we are walking in integrity, right, it will be on level ground when we are in that great assembly, the congregation, the body of Christ, the church. That is where God's gifts are given, um, and we are supported in this. And so I think anybody that is struggling with any sort of problem can pray this prayer, uh, and it directs us to our God and his gifts and his son, Jesus. Pastor Andrew Leyenbauer of St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Concordia, Missouri, giving us God's strong word from Psalm 26. I remember what I was going to say at the beginning, Pastor. Reminder to our listeners, pray for Pastor and his wife as they anticipate their first child. So, Pastor, uh, God's blessings in that, and thank you for bringing us his gifts this morning. Thank you, Pastor Kenner. 
I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.